I'm a huge planner. So whenever my wife, Radhi and I would go on our adventures, I'd meticulously plan out our itineraries and book our accommodations in advance. It's like a yearly tradition that we do. And let me tell you, Booking.com has been my go-to every step of the way. Whether I want to be a simple guy nestled in the countryside or be the stylish and modern guy in the heart of the city, Booking.com never fails to offer a wide range of options that perfectly suit your preferences and they have everything you need to turn your travel dreams into reality, offering accommodations here in the US. Plus, the ease of booking through the app makes the whole process a breeze. So trust me when I say, when it comes to planning unforgettable getaways, Booking.com is where it's at. Ready to book your next adventure? Book whoever you want to be on Booking.com. Booking.yeah. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. People are always going to say something. Always. They're going to try to have some type of narrative. But as long as you know what's real, I think that's what can help you keep your sanity. The best-selling author and host. The number one health and wellness podcast. On Purpose with Jay Shetty. Chris Paul, On Purpose, thank you for being here, man. Uh, I am so grateful to you because you just said season finished yesterday. Yeah. The next game is in six, seven days, which we'll talk about. But... The reason we're here is to talk about this incredible book that you've written, your memoir, an ode to your grandpa, 61. I read the book cover to cover. And so what I want to say to everyone who's listening and watching, whether you know Chris on the court or off the court, I felt like you were personally sitting with me, talking to me throughout the entire book. I literally felt like it was just me and you in the room. <laughs> so I felt like I've already had this experience in a weird way. And what, I, what I'll say to everyone who's listening and watching, who's, you know, I hope you're all going to go and grab a copy of the book, Please. is it is one of the most genuine memoirs that I've read. Like it felt, it really felt like it was coming from your heart. And the best thing about it is you get to understand you on, on a different level to just the game. And so I just want to take a moment to say, man, that I think it was really well done. It was so personal, so real. And I literally felt like I was like, this is just my friend talking to me. Man, it's, it's crazy, Jay, that you say that. And first and foremost, thanks for having me. And you probably don't know this, but I think you're probably the first person that's told me that you read it from beginning to end. You know what I mean? Because it's not even out like that. Now I don't really get a chance to talk to people about it too much. But um, it's crazy to know You've written books or whatnot. This is the first one. I've done children's books, yes. but never anything like this. And I have a newfound appreciation for the process, for the entire process of the, the different versions. And the very first time, if I be honest, the very first time when I got the first copy back, 
I was like, oh no, this ain't it. This ain't it. And and it was because I had uh, someone who was helping me with it, right? But when you're talking about your own life experiences, you wanted to sound like you, you know? So when I read the very first version, I was like, this don't sound like me, you know? And I started from scratch. I could literally see the service station like, I can see the places, the way you describe them, like the people, the characters. I literally felt like I was there. And and I think that's that requires all that detail and that texture and the, you know, it's your lived experience. And so I felt like I was living that experience with you. And so every question I ask you today is me wanting to know a bit more about you from different angles, different perspectives, parts where I was like, I'm so lucky that I get to sit with you and actually ask these questions to you. So, so let's dive in. I want to start off with just setting context for people. Season's just finished. You're heading it off, end of the playoffs. Like, how do you prepare at this time? It's a big year, huge start for you. You talk about hard work, work ethic in the book all the time, but how is this different? Or how do you set yourself up? Yeah, it's wild. Uh, this is my 18th season, right, in the NBA. And it's been, been a lot. Right, a lot of good things have happened, but a lot of unfortunate bad things have happened. Losses, injuries, and all of this, and it's crazy. I usually have like this dead date, right? Honestly, like we usually have this dead date with everybody that works with me, where we'd be like, "Look, Chris will be doing meetings and all this stuff until this date, and then we just lock in." You know what I mean? But yeah. uh, doing the book and everything, um, it's been cool, and getting a chance to do this is is really cool, and so. When you lose at something, right? Like one like group of athletes I've always thought about is Olympians, right? Like the Olympics happen once every four years, right? And if you trip like in that race, that's it. Yeah. You got four years till you can get ready for it again. But see, for us, like when we lost last year in the playoffs, you know, you feel that heartache and that hurt. And it's like, I can't wait till next year. And now finally next year is here. You know, so we got five, six days to get ready for our first game, but it's it's nothing like it. Yeah. In the book, you said you think the game. And when I read that, I thought that was interesting to me. I've, I've sat down with so many athletes on the show and behind the scenes as well, but I'd never really heard anyone say it that way. What does that mean today? What does that mean right now? Yeah, that means... I don't, do you do anything? Do you like play cards at all? I, I used to, I mean, I used to play soccer growing up. That okay, was like right, my right. favorite sport growing up. But like, up, yeah. even if it's soccer, yeah. if it's connect four, right? Like I play <laughs> yeah. dominoes. I play ping pong. I yeah, play yeah. I play ball. ping pong. I, yeah. play, I play any and everything. And in everything you do, you have to have a strategy, mm. right? Whether it's a card game or anything, and you just have to think different layers. You can always play, right? Just play. But if you can think the game too. And so me... Like I was up this morning, like as soon as I woke up this morning and before I called my kids, I was on YouTube, like looking at clips. Like I go to YouTube and I'll look at, um, or I'll go to this website that'll show me every shot I've missed or made since I've been in the NBA. So like I'm literally always watching, trying to learn, trying to see how I can get better. So that's what I mean when I say I think the game. Wow. So you literally go on YouTube, type in Chris Paul misses, and then watch. And yeah, then Chris this, Paul, like, this website actually called Second Spectrum. Okay. That you can go do that. But I can go on YouTube and look uh, at this particular game. So we're playing the Clippers in the playoffs, right? So I can go look on YouTube. They got everything on there. <laughs> I'm sure everybody know that too. Yeah. But you can go look at all of my shots that I played against the Clippers this year. 
Wow. Yeah. And, and so you would just, just study. Study it. Study the game. Study who I might be guarding. Study your opponent and all this stuff. So then in the game, of course, talent and all that stuff. But at some point, you still got to be able to think and sort of everybody has tendencies. Yeah. We play 82 games, right? There's certain things that guys do on a regular basis. So if I can learn that and figure that out, the better. Yeah, I love that. And I saw that in your book too. It's like, it's almost like you're observing patterns. Right. Like there's all these patterns and that's what you're saying. Like right. there's patterns over 82 games. And when you start spotting the patterns, it's hard for people to break them. And so they're going to keep repeating that. I can't imagine the things that you learned and all the experiences that you've had, right? But you know there are certain things that are a staple for people that, su that are successful. Yes. Right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you got to work hard. You got to have some type of discipline, yeah. right? Or else whatever you want to see come into existence is just not going to happen. Yeah. It's like they always say... Um, what is it? I'd rather be lucky than good or something like yeah. that. But you you still got to have the work ethic to to see it through. Yeah. What have been your, do you have like a set morning routine on game days and prep days? Or do you kind of intuitively figure it out? Like what, what are you like? Are you that disciplined beast that's just set up to win? Or do you feel you it out? You know what? Uh, good friend of mine, JJ Reddick, uh, he, he does a podcast now. He talks, he was my teammate, but he's retired now. Uh, earlier this year, he was talking about how sometimes a routine can drive you nuts, right? And I sort of got into that mode because I didn't play so long. I didn't felt like if I don't do this particular thing, I'm not sure what's going to happen tonight. Yeah. You know, especially with how many games I play. Like, I, I, I'm serious. I used to have so much anxiety. Like, oh, man, if I didn't do this before I run out on the court, God, some injury might happen. I mean, I used to have this crazy routine for the past few years. Like, I would get up, I would eat breakfast, go to the gym, shoot around might be a 10. I might get there at 8.15, do all this stretching, workout, shoot, then go home. I would get body work from like 11.15, 11.30 to like 1 o'clock. And then I would lay down, had to be at 1, get up at 3, shower, get dressed, eat, get in the car, go to the game. You know, it just made for a long day. Honestly, on a game day, it was a long day. And so I stopped doing necessarily the body work from 11.15 to 1 just to give me some time to live. Yeah. Honestly, to just be, maybe like watch a show for a little bit when my kid's in town, chill with them or whatnot. And it's actually been like liberating. Yeah. But for so long, you just like, I got to do this. I got to do that. And it'll, it'll drive you nuts. Yeah. And it sounds like that's the way of it though, right? Like the, the reason you can take that break now or watch that show or catch up with your kids is because of that investment you put in for like yeah, 15 I mean, years, 16 years, For sure, years, yeah. for sure. But you also realize that sometimes you got to break up the mm -hmm. monotony of mm -hmm. that routine or whatnot just to give yourself a break. Yeah. That, I think that's going to help a lot of people listening because I think there's so many people listening right now who are stuck in their routine and oh, don't realize how much it'll, it can It'll help. drive you crazy, especially in what we do. Now, there's certain things like... There's certain handshakes that's got to happen. I, like, a few things not going to change, right? Like, uh, when they call our name out for the starting lineups, I make sure I dap up all my teammates. Then I go to the little slant board. I make sure I put my foot on that three times. I make sure I get the chalk, rub my hands together, clap them together three times, hit the back stanchion. <laughs> I, I got a lot of routine stuff that I do. I, like, hit my chest, then I look up and you know, say what up to Kobe, you know what I mean? And then we do the jump ball. Yeah. Some of that stuff not going to change. <laughs> but 
some of the other things or whatnot, you have to look at your situation and realize how can you be, I don't know, intentional with your time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you feel like all of those things you just mentioned that aren't going to change, there were things you picked up along the way because of wins and like where did those originate from? Yeah, so it's funny. It's funny you ask that. And being on a team for all of my life, you know, <laughs> I've been on a team since I was five years old. And so when you find these little things, they sort of just happen, right? So you're out there with your teammates and you come up with a handshake and then somebody like accidentally do something and then you're like, oh, I like that. We're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep doing that. So all these things just sort of get added along the way. Mm. You know what I mean? So yeah. like before before I leave the locker room, I also do uh, like a one, two, three, uh, and a bunch of our team trainers, they, they yell it with me. I do one and they yell two, three, you know, so that stuff just sort of picks up and you keep doing it. That's amazing, man. One of the things that comes through your book is you talk so much about hard work, confidence, you know, seeing your own potential when no one else sees it, being able to bet on yourself, having that confidence. And even today, I can tell there's, but at the same time with that confidence, there's this humility in, in your book too, because you talk so much about the teachers and the coaches and the mentors, and you talk about this idea about how no one's really self-made. Right. And so you have this great balance between this confidence and this humility. I wonder, what was something that you were insecure about as a kid? Was there anything in your life that you weren't confident about or things that made you doubt yourself at all? All types of things. I mean... I was small, right? Well, some people would still say I am. <laughs> you know what I mean? In my profession. I'm small. Yeah. yeah <laughs> in my profession. Yeah. But I mean, I was a little brother, right? So I had my older brother and all his friends would pick on me. You can't do this. You can't do that. Uh, I played football. I mean, I was on my AAU basketball team. I think I talk about this in the book. And everybody on my team was on varsity, mm. except for me, mm. right? And so I was a little bit slower, right, than some of the other guys. I mean, one of the most embarrassing things was back then, our team used to run out for warm-ups. And back then, like our parents had chants and all these songs they would sing. And as my teammates, we ran out to the court, everyone would run and smack the backboard, right? Everybody, bop, bop, everybody smacking the backboard. I couldn't touch the backboard. So I would have to run <laughs> by the backboard and just get back in line. So. I just had this conversation with my son the other day because I told my son he's going to be vertically challenged just like me. And so one of his biggest goals is to be able to dunk, right? So he asked me when did I dunk for the first time. I was a junior, I think, in high school when I dunked for the first time. So he was like, I'm going to dunk before that. I'm going to dunk before that. And I told him I'm cool and fine with that, but I also want him to develop the actual skills of like, playing the game. Mm. I feel like so many times now, kids just want to be able to dunk mm. instead of learning actually how to play the game. How did, how did you make that difference for yourself growing up? Because I feel like kids are always kids, right? Like right. You grew up watching Jordan and you want to, you know, so yeah. I feel like everyone who grows up watching anyone, we all want to stand Emulate. that way, yep. imitate, right? And so how did you stop yourself as an athlete, when you were coming up, to refocus just as you're encouraging little Chris to do? It was just different. And I, and I say different because, and it may be because of my circumstances and my situation, right? And seeing my grandfather, right? So I saw how my grandfather pro provided for my family in so many different ways, especially financially. And growing up the way I grew up, I always wanted more. 
like I wanted more, not just like financially, but I wanted to see things and I wanted my family to see things. And I don't know, I've just always been very competitive and my brother helped make me that way. But I just, uh, I mean, still to this day, like I really don't take no for an answer, right? Like there's gotta be a way, there's gotta be a solution. And if you tell me I can't do it, then we gonna see about it, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so it was, a, it was a drive about it and it was a drive to just want to be better and the curi curiosity and I don't know, like I said, it was almost subconscious watching my grandfather work, right? So I played football, my coaches were hard on me, you know, and I just knew if I wanted to do something, I had to work. Yeah, that work was just obvious through your grandfather who just lived it every day. And I'm, you know, when you took the kids back to see the service station in the space, yeah. that part of the book is is really special because you reminded me. So I was, I was nine years old when my dad took me back to the home he grew up in, mm. and my dad's home was probably as big. His home was as big as this room, like cut off that part as well, like none of that hallway. So his whole house was this big, mm -hmm. and. It was in India where he grew up. And so he took me there. And I remember like walking outside. There was a lot of like trash on the floor. There were like rats running around. There were cockroaches inside. This big bat flew on my face. Like I had my Batman moment. Like I was like, <laughs> I was a nine-year-old kid and this right. bat flew on my face and it was disgusting. And my dad put it out of my eyes. And then we went in this house and it was literally this big. And I remember my dad was telling me how they shared like a toilet with like 30 families. Like he grew up in like, you know, yep. immense poverty. And it was just one of the best experiences of my life going there as a nine-year-old. So when I was reading about you taking your kids back yeah. to grandpa's service station in the space you grew up, I was like, I know how formative that's been for me. Walk us through what, what their reaction was and yeah. your reasoning and actually. Everything that you just said is so valid. And if I be, if I'm gonna be very honest, like when you're a kid, you only know what you know, right? And so the times that something was going on and I seen my grandfather pull that wad of money out of his pocket, I used to start tripping. That's a lot of money to me, to anybody. And so like as a kid, you want things. I mean, when we was in the car and we went to McDonald's or something, right? Or say you went to Wendy's, I don't care where you went. Like if you went to Wendy's, we want the biggie size fries. Right? Like we want the extra large fries and the extra large soda. We couldn't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like my parents just wasn't doing it because we didn't have the the money to do it. And as a kid, I watched movies too. Did you ever see Richie Rich? Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah, yeah. So Great movie, you see yeah. Richie Rich, you see that movie, uh, what was it, Blank Check? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. as a kid, it's like, dang, I'm trying to see what that be like. Yeah. Right. And so of course you want things, you want uh things, but the biggest thing that I learned is when I got to the NBA, right? And you can get those things. They don't complete you at all. Like, they don't. But what you start to realize is that with the money and the finance at times, you have an opportunity to change other people's lives. Mm -hmm. So that's when the work really just sets in. And it's like, all right, I want to keep working because I want to keep providing and helping others or whatnot. So when it came to my kids, they live a totally different life than me and my wife ever did. Right. And so this is so crazy. Like I'm I'm picturing these real conversations that I have with my kids because for me and my wife, like I wanted something different for my parents. 
right? And the hardest thing is trying to figure out how to get my kids motivated because they can't get me and my wife a new house. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? They just can't. And so it's constantly just making sure that they have their own motivation. What's going to motivate them? So I wanted them to see why I am the way I am. Because mm. sometimes they just see mom and dad or they just see me, but they got a chance to really go see why I get mad if the trash ain't taken out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because growing up, I was having to cut the grass. We were having to uh, fold clothes, wash clothes, do all these different type things. So that's one of the challenges as a parent of how do you instill some of these things in your kids? Yeah, and it, it, throughout the book, you see just how conscious and intentional you are about the kids. And again, I think there's this healthy balance where like there's a lot of love for them and you you get that. It's not their fault that they, they didn't have that experience. Like, right. Yeah, but at the same time, you want to help them. And I think that it's it's such a it's such a hard balance to do, but it sounds like because you and Jada are taking it so thoughtfully and intentionally that I I just see it all the time, like the amount of celebrity kids who also feel the pressure, yep. A, to be like their parents yep. in their field. That's already a pressure. Yep. Second of all, there's a feeling, which I don't think a lot of people realize, but there's a lot of feeling of guilt for kids to be like, well, I didn't deserve this or my friends don't have this or like I didn't do it. And then on the other side, which you get is the entitlement as well. So, so it's, it's such so it's much, so much to deal so, with. It's so much that goes into yeah. it, man. And I think the the only thing for us that we've always tried to do is at least communicate with them and don't make them guess or try to figure it out on their own. And even though I'm here somewhat giving advice or whatnot <laughs> or talking about my memoir, I'm always looking for advice. Mm. Some of the people that I've looked to as mentors or whatnot most of our conversations have been on parenting mm. because this thing don't come with a manual. Mm. You know, it doesn't. And I'm constantly learning, adapting, trying to adjust because kids um, for sure will, will, will like test you, you know? And I think it's been the best test that I've ever had because they show you how to love unconditionally. And uh, it's, the, it's, the, it's the best ride. Yeah, the part in the book that, that really got me was when you're, because I don't have kids yet. Mm -hmm. And me and my wife have been together for around 10 years now. And we moved from London to New York to LA. And now we live in LA. But the last seven years have been yeah. moving around. And, you know, in our own way, obviously, I'm not moving how you are. But but still kind of that feeling of not having a home. Right Now we know we live in LA and we're, we're happy there. But I often think about, like, how my kids will have a different life to the life I had, even in... So that the point I'm picking out of your book is when you're leaving LA and you're talking to little Chris about it and he's really upset about it like because he's made his friends and he's going to miss him. And, and, and you can relate to that as a kid. It doesn't matter who your dad is. Right. It's like as a kid, it's like your friends are everything. You're scared about what it's going to be like going to a new school. I think that's when you're moving from LA to Houston. Yeah. And, and you're just, you're feeling this discomfort. And I love what you say to him where you're like, I need you. Yeah. And I thought that was amazing to hear a dad say like, I need you. It wasn't like you need to do this for me or you got to, you know, just, just fix up and be, be strong and man up. And how did, how did you recognize that that was the conversation? And Jay, I'm very visual. So even when, as you're talking to me, like I'm envisioning when it happened, like we were in my office at my house in Calabasas and I'll never forget his face ever. It was tough. And like I said, I grew up around the same friends. 
right? Like me and my brother got a group chat with our homies back home that we grew up with. And that is probably one of the coolest things about my childhood. Whereas I know to each his own, some people moved around a lot and it gave them the ability to uh, be flexible to different cultures and this and that, but it was cool having a home base. And so when we left and Chris said that it was hard, it was really hard, which, why, which is why we ultimately made the decision when we went from Houston to OKC to let them stay in LA. And it's always going to be hard. That's what you understand is that there's no perfect life. There's no perfect family because in trying to give them stability, now the last four years, I've been without them. You know, So I think what always ends up happening is somebody got to sacrifice. Right. And if anybody going to sacrifice as far as my family go, I'm going to make sure it's me. You know, and that's that's how we got to where we are now. Yeah. And how do, how do you stay strong in that time? Because I get that, too. Like my wife and I end up spending a bit of time apart every year as well, because her family, both of our families are from London and they live in London and our niece and nephew are there. Our sisters are there. So my wife misses family a lot right. and her family's like her, her like fuel. Right. And. So we end up spending quite a few months apart every year. And I wonder, how do you stay strong? How do you kind of, like, what do you work on to make sure that you're filled up as well? Because like you said, it's a sacrifice. But at the same time, you have to take, you have to be Man, the one to I'm take looking it. for tips and advice every day. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's, yeah. it's so hard. And I, and I tell you, I think the, the, the biggest thing that I try to do is make sure that I'm not, emo not too emotional in front of, in front of my kids, mm. right? Because, um, uh, my kids are are special. Like my my son is so like thoughtful, you know, and my daughter is the same way. And it's so different, right? My childhood was my dad was coach and all that. My mom was a team mom, so my parents never missed anything. I think probably one of the coolest interactions was we played in LA maybe like a week and a half, two weeks ago. And my family came to the game and my kids were standing outside the locker room. And I had no clue they did this, but when a few of my teammates left, they saw my daughter and they was like, Cam, we be watching your baseball games. We be watching your basketball games because, because I can't be there. I'll literally be in the locker room before a game. My iPad is set up. My wife is videoing the game and I'm doing my stretches and exercises before the game. And anybody is in the locker room, they can hear, <laughs> they can hear my daughter's game going on. So to see, uh, my wife told me how much my daughter, like she just lit up, knowing, you know, that I'm, I'm not there physically, but I'm always, you know, at least watching and trying to when I can. I feel like kids feel that presence. You know, I always felt like my parents didn't have a lot of time for me. They were both immigrants working hard, trying to put food on the table. But I always felt their presence because when I was with them or when they did see me, there was a real connection there. Yeah. And I didn't need like eight hours a day, 10 hours. I didn't have that luxury. They didn't have that luxury. But even if it was for those couple of hours every day. I say that all the time, man. I'm, I'm so aware and conscious that like kids, my kids now are 13 and 10. They're very smart. They're very aware that if you was to get them a gift, say you're a big time person or something, you get them a gift and somebody works for you, you got them the gift, your kids, you can't fool them. You know, but they would much rather have that time. So when I'm in town or whatnot, if I get a day off and I go home, the best time for me is taking my kids to school, mm. right? 
that 20, 25 minute drive to school. And then even the fact that my daughter still lets me walk her in, those I think are the most priceless moments because one thing that I learned during quarantine was that was the first year that I lived away from my family, right? I was in Oklahoma and then uh, the, the, the shutdown happened and we all went home for a while. And it was just crazy because even though my kids might be doing their own thing, they felt comfort. And I was like on Zoom trying to set up the bubble, right? Because I was the union president at the yeah. time. But they felt comfort in doing their own thing. But they knew if they looked out the side of their eye that they could see me in my office, mm. right? So just the awareness. You might not necessarily be right there next to them all the time, but just the fact that they know you're there. On Purpose with Jay Shetty is brought to you by Booking.com, Booking.Yeah. Many of you know that one of the most important aspects of my life is my connection with others. Travel has become one of the best ways for me to connect with people, whether that be my community, my family, friends, or loved ones, or all of you. Most of my family lives outside of the US, so traveling around the holidays, birthdays, or other special occasions is something that we're accustomed to. As we grow older, oftentimes our families or loved ones end up living in different areas as us, making it challenging to get together due to various schedules and commitments. With Booking.com, I'm able to efficiently book travel and accommodations for everyone in my family so that we can spend quality time together. They also make it easy to book travel for the various types of travelers in my family so that each person in my family can authentically be the traveler they want to be, no matter the destination. Once a year, my family takes a trip together to a US destination where none of us live or are visited. We find this helpful in making sure that everyone is truly present and able to unplug from their normal routines, resulting in more meaningful conversations and connections. Experiencing new places with those close to you allows you to bond over a shared experience. Booking.com's breadth and variety of accommodations in the US has made the destination selection and booking process not only easy, but fun. Travel can also foster new connections. Visiting different cities has allowed me to build connections with all of you, my community, most of whom I've never met in person and otherwise would have not crossed paths with. The in-person relationships that are built and strengthened through travel is something that each of us can benefit from. Book whoever you want to be on booking.com, booking.yeah. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com forward slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why?
You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash on purpose to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash on purpose. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Yeah, yeah, well said, well said. And going back to one of your rituals, I was just thinking about this. You said you write, can't give up now yep. on your shoes before you before you go out to play a game. And I was, I was thinking like, what is that? You know, 18 years is a long time to dedicate professionally and then what to speak of all the prep and, and everything else that goes into right. it. But what does it feel like to get traded, to feel down and out, to feel like it's not going in the direction you want and then to can't give up now? Yeah. Like I find that that kind of pivot, for some people it breaks them and for some people it makes them. And for you, any sort of pivots have only taken you further and further and further for you to perform and pursue at a higher level. What is that because I think people look at you and even when I read your book, I was just thinking you're working really hard at basketball. You're really working hard at your family. You're working hard at being a dad. I'm like, this guy works hard on every area of his life. Like there's not, so you're, Try to, you're yeah. trying to, yeah, I, I respect that. You, you don't come across as you're perfecting it, but there's this energy of like, I'm thinking about how I'm raising my kids. I'm thinking about my relationship. But then when the career part is having its hiccups and slip ups and whatever else in the past, what did you find when you get that can't give up now? Like, where does that come from? So I'll tell you where that came from was when I got traded from Houston to OKC, like to be I, I was mad, like really mad because I've been told one thing and another thing happened. And when I went to Houston, I we moved like 15 people to Houston, right? So to not know and to know that I was going to Oklahoma City, I was hot. I was in Augusta, Georgia, and... I didn't know what that meant, right? I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what was next. It was the first time I'd been blindsided with something like that. There's a song by Mary Mary, right? It's called uh, Can't Give Up Now. Because like I said in the book, I grew up in church. I was in church four or five days a week. And I remember listening to that song and like getting emotional. And it was like, look, the trade didn't happen. The ESPN, everybody talking about it or whatnot. I learned this a while ago in the league is that ain't nobody going to feel sorry for you. And like you said, I've learned that too in this business that there's two different type of people. People who are going to feel bad for themselves and just sulk. And then there's other people who are going to get to work. And so that was, my, that was my mindset. It was like, all right, I think I'm done. All right, cool. I got I put my head down and do the work. Yeah. And so that was, you know, my whole energy going into that. Yeah. How, how do you differentiate between what the media is building as a narrative versus your narrative. Like, how do you, I find like athletes, that's what makes the athlete's job a million times harder than even playing the game. Yeah. Because especially now with social media where there's so much chatter, so much conversation. How do you keep your focus around this is reality and that's just that's noise? It's crazy you said that because I learned something about myself um, even a few years ago. I can't have that clutter, right? And when I played back in LA, I think I said this in the book too with the Clippers, Doc Rivers, he used to talk about uh, getting rid of the clutter, right? So when you get home from a game, if your team lose, everybody that's with your family and all that, what they going to do? If y'all lost the game, what they going to say? Yeah, uh, I hope you're it okay. It was everybody else's oh, fault, right? Right. 
Like if you lose a game and you get <laughs> home, everybody in your family going, they're going to be like, oh, this person wasn't doing that. That person wasn't doing that. They ain't never going to say nothing about you, mm. right? And so that's literally clutter, right? And the same thing I've learned years ago in the playoffs, like in the playoffs, you got to win four games out of seven, right? And I don't care what anybody says about social media or whatnot, but if you win a game in the playoffs and you go on the social media and you had a great game and everybody talking about you like you the best thing since pants with pockets, then you might let your guard down, right? And the same thing if you don't have a good game and you go out there and everybody's talking about how sorry you are, you might lose a little bit of confidence. So for me, I try to block out all of that noise. Mm. You know what I mean? So that's like when the playoffs start, I don't want to see what ESPN talking about. I don't want to see what Bleacher, I don't want to see what none of them talking about because you got to just stay locked in and stay focused. And as long as you know what's true, you know what I mean? Yeah. People are always going to say something. Always. They're going to try to have some type of narrative or whatnot. But as long as you know what's real, I think that's what can help you keep your sanity. Yeah. And I think that's one of the hardest skills for anyone, let alone someone who a lot of people in the world are talking about. Like that's, you know, I can imagine that affects kids today. I'm sure kids feel it at school and you see that with them at school. Like, and see, this is the thing I'll tell you, and I'm not a parent coach or anything like no, that. No. I can only tell you my experience, but what I've learned with social media with kids, right, and having a 13 and a 10-year-old is that when I was growing up, if a girl didn't like you or something like that, you dealt with it at school, right? Once you went home, you didn't have to deal with it. Right, you you just saw her at school the next day. Now with phones and social media and all that, one thing I know is that these kids are dealing with things all day long. Right, it could be on Snapchat, it could be on Instagram or whatnot. And if our us as adults, if we can't handle that mental capacity, like I said, I can't handle that. Like I'm on Instagram, but I'll go weeks without even looking at it. You know what I mean? Just because. I feel like, you know, with our stories and stuff like that now, we ask people how, how they doing. We already know what the hell they done did for the last three weeks. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I want to, I want to shift here because there's, what I found was really special as someone who was reading your book and, and just, again, like I said, learning so much about you. It was like, you said that your grandpa, you know, used to encourage you to listen to obituaries. <laughs> and when they came on and you'd, he'd, he'd tell you more about that person too. Like yeah. he had this amazing memory. It was weird you said. though. I yeah. it, was, it was weird and kind of strange because like it wasn't no like iPhones where the alarm went off and he knew to do it. It's like everybody would be working and my granddaddy would just be like, cut on the obituaries. And as soon as somebody hit the little radio player, the song would be playing. Mm, it's like kind of morbid. And they would just start naming off the people who had died, right? And I mean, everybody out there working and you might hear Mr. Ulysses or Bo or somebody say, oh, such and such died. You know, they didn't know. And my granddad might start talking about one of them, but because I talk about my grandmother dying when I was seven. Mm -hmm. That was my first time, you know, being faced with death. And then it's crazy. It was a funeral home in our hometown called Russell's Funeral Home. Like once every like two weeks or whatnot, they would bring their fleet of cars up to the service station because they had like a, it's crazy to think about it now, they had a business account, right, with my granddad's service station. And so just 
It was a lot, man. I, that's why I, ain't, I still don't deal with death well. You know what I mean? To see the the hearses pull in there and I don't know. It was it was different. Yeah, it's it's. You said that with your grandmother's passing, you were like, I never really got over that. Like, and I think that's that's so real for for so many people. But like you said, like people often say, like, oh, I know how you feel, but no one can know how you feel because they didn't know that person. They didn't know your connection to them. That experience, like. You you dealt with that so early on at seven, and like you said, you didn't. You never really got a, got over it. Now, when you look back on it, is it something you even want to get over, or is it something that just stays with you? And it's I think I think it just it? stays with me because um, I tell you, like writing this book was also like therapeutic because some of the stuff I had never talked about, and so might have been a week or two ago, I was talking to my parents and was just asking them, like I was like, Dad, I was like, when was the first time you? dealt with death, right? Because my kids are 13 and 10 and they haven't, mm -hmm. right? The only person I think that they've seen pass away, knock on wood, is um, my my wife's grandmother, right? And so obviously the less you have to deal with death, the better. But I mean, as soon as I go to a funeral, right? All those emotions from when I was seven, you know, they they come right back they come right back. And there's something about the closure aspect of it and somebody not being there anymore. I'll tell you something really cool. My dad, when I grew up as a kid, videoed everything. Every one of my games was VHS, all of that. My dad uh, found a bunch of those tapes and he had them converted into DVDs. And so recently, maybe like three weeks ago, he sent the DVDs to me. He hadn't even watched them. And I put one of the DVDs in and I was watching it. And we used to have events all the time at this place up the street from our house. And I was looking at the video and I was like, what is this? And I kept watching it for a while and my granddad walked in. It was actually a video from his 60th birthday, right? Literally just three weeks ago came across this. Wow. And um, it was like emotional watching it. And I started filming some of it because uh, I hadn't heard my granddad's voice in over 20 years since since he passed away. I took a video of it and I put it in our family group chat. My mom called me, she pulled over to the side of the road and she was crying because you, you don't think about stuff like that. You know what I mean? My kids, they know the story of my grandfather. They know all of that, but they had never heard his voice. My wife, I didn't know she had never heard his voice, right? So to, to have this footage now and my brother talked wishing him a happy birthday and I'm anxiously watching I'm like man where am I where am I because you see everybody setting up and then you see somebody say all right everybody be quiet uh he about to walk in because it was like a surprise and so when I heard somebody say that I was like oh I must be bringing him in to surprise because we used to be together all the time and then he walks in and now I don't see myself and I'm like where am I in this video and as my brother's giving his uh, happy birthday speech to my granddad, he says, if Chris was here, he would have said the same thing. And then I, I like just this whole feeling came over me because I wasn't there. And I called my mom. I was like, mom, where was I? Where, where was I? And she was like, you had to be at an AAU tournament. And so it was crazy. Like I was getting emotional again because I was like, damn, that's sort of been the st story of my life is missing stuff. You know what I mean? But it's, it's crazy. Like I said, death and all this stuff, you just, you never get over it. And you're not reminded of it until you 
you face with it again. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story, man. I mean, that's like the, whew, I mean, to be, to be reminded of being absent because you're pursuing your dream, but then, you know, the, the stuff, like you said, sacrifice. You said right. some, something has to be sacrificed, but I can't imagine what it felt like to, you know, reconnect back with that memory through finding an amazing tape, but then right. feeling yeah. like you're not there. Especially at this time with the book coming out to to finally see that, that was uh, that was really cool. And I think, I mean, I got my little cousin, AJ and Takoya, who like 29 and 27, they had never heard, AJ had, but they were kids or whatever when he died, so they hadn't heard anything. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you think was a lesson? There's so many lessons in the book that you learned from your grandpa and that, that are, you know, I think people should read the book for it to learn the depth of it. But what's the lesson that you think you carry in your heart the most that stays with you right now till this day that you feel lives with you? Man, it, it sounds so generic, but I say the work ethic, right? But it's crazy because I could sit here and say, you got to work. You got to work. It's the work ethic. But I will also say it's the balance because it's the one thing that I also learned about my family and my mom said this, and I never even thought about this aspect of it, was that my grandfather worked so hard. And I think I said this in the book that that was all he knew. So he never actually, I don't want to say enjoyed our family, but he never like went on vacation. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying you got to go to another country or something like that, but just try to make sure that there's balance and make sure that of course, you got to work, work, work to provide, but make sure at some point you take some time to enjoy the people around you and your family. Because my mom said that the the one time that my granddad actually went on vacation was when my grandmother was about to pass away. Mm. And so it wasn't until he seen that he was going to lose my grandmother that he was like, okay, I need to to do something with her. Yeah. and And you talk about how like, he used to finish work at like 7 a.m. to 7.30, and then he started ending at 6. Yep. And so you were saying like to some games. people, that may not be a big thing, but to you and your family, that was huge. That was huge. Because all you saw him do was work. All we saw, saw him do was work. And when my grandmother died is when anywhere he went, I tried to go with him. I tried to go with him. And it's, it's tough, man. Like I, like I keep saying, my mom is unbelievable because... I mean, I'll be 38 in a few weeks and I still got mom and dad. And it's not till I got older and I started like, I was like, man, mom, you lost mom and dad. You know, so I, I can't imagine that. Yeah, yeah. And how, how did they process it? Because you say in the book, like how, you know, we don't always do therapy. We don't always talk about it. Like, have you helped them with their grief while you help yours? Do you find it useful as a family to connect or is it? You know, it's crazy. I don't think my parents have read the book yet. I'm so excited for him to read it. I want him to read the book, but I also want him to listen to the audio book because I did the audio book so they can actually hear my voice. And I think when they read it, they probably going to learn some stuff about me that they probably don't know. And I know my, my family is extremely emotional. And a lot of times we're all working. We're all on the move. We're all on the go. But uh, I think it's going to be something cool to talk about once they read it. Yeah. What do you think is going to shock them the most or surprise them the most or or something you think that they're going to be maybe even is there anything that would make them uneasy what, what do you uh, think I don't what, think anything's going to be uneasy some yeah. of it probably be funny <laughs> uh, 
because I talk about some of me and my brothers, yeah. like childhood, growing up, my parents never talking to us about sex, all this different type of stuff. Yeah. But uh, it's um, it's going to be real cool. And I think they'll probably, I mean, I try to tell my parents how much I appreciate them all the time, but hopefully they get more of a feeling of that through the book too. Yeah. Do you think, you were talking about the hard work and the balance, and it's such a, it's something that I think all of us who are, ambitious or obsessed with figuring out, right? right? You want to put everything into the thing you love, the thing you were born to do. And at the same time, you realize it's meaningless if the family, the relationship, the friendships aren't there, right? We yeah. always hear the term like, no one wants to be lonely at the top or it right. is lonely at the top. Right. And so do you think that that makes you sacrifice success or do you think that it is success is to be able to have both? It depends. It depends. If you can have both, then that's probably the ultimate goal, right? To have both, to have that success and have that balance. But the thing that I'm always battling with, right, is that 18 years of my life I've been in the NBA and that is a blessing, right? I want to be there. I want to be there for my kids' events. I want to be a dad just like my dad was to me because I'm not where I'm at without my dad sort of cultivating that and, and being there. And then there's this other side of it too, whereas if I was to retire, right, and stop playing knowing that I still got a lot left in the tank and still got the passion and whatnot, would I be this amazing dad that I want to be if I gave up? my own passion, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that's the, the that's hard real. decision. That's the hard decision that everyone has to make all the time. And I constantly have those conversations with my kids and my wife about it. And, you know, we ultimately sort of decided that they wouldn't like the person that's at home <laughs> if I stopped playing prematurely. Yeah, that's so real, man. I think that's like the that's, that's the biggest realization of like yeah. how if you're not living your purpose, the person you become is like a figment, like a little tiny piece of who you really are. Right. And then everyone's getting that leftover version of you. Exactly. And yeah. so it's it's crazy. You just never know. It's, you know, that time, you know, you, you won't get that time back. It ain't like you can stop playing and then call the NBA in four or five years, be like, yo, pick me back up. Yeah. You know, but also you don't get that time back with the kids. So you, it's what we are trying to figure out. Yeah. If you were in that tape, if you were there at that birthday, what would you have said? Oh, man. I'm sure it's a tape somewhere from one of those other birthdays, but I know I would have just talked about how my granddad was my best friend, you know, and how I was happy for him to be there. And I probably would have said something about him not having his teeth in. <laughs> you know, in that video, in the video that I seen of him, he didn't have his teeth in his mouth. So as soon as I seen him walk in and his whole face was closed up, I was like, oh, where's my granddaddy teeth at? But um, I don't know. And it was crazy for me because, like I said, I'm watching this video not knowing what it is. And then when I see it's his 60th birthday, knowing that he died literally the next year at 61, it was, uh, it was crazy. So I would have definitely just told him, you know, how much I love and appreciate him and probably try to get him to move in with us again. Mm. What What do you think is a lesson that if he was here with us today that he'd still want you to learn or something he'd be poking at you at for? Or oh, man. What do you think he'd be coaching you on right now? Probably all the texts that I get, my temper. <laughs> oh, yeah. Probably. But um, I don't know. I think the biggest thing that my granddad would be proud of if he was still here 
was just that our family is still together. You know what I mean? I think that's the biggest thing that he'd be proud of because he had uh, he had my mom and he had my Aunt Rhonda, right? And so the fact that even in L.A., that's where my wife and kids live, where my brother lives, that's where my Aunt Rhonda's kids, AJ and Koya live, like all the holidays, we all still get together, even after all this time. And uh, I think that's what he'd be most proud of. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like you're when I'm reading the book, I had the the bird's eye view note of what had happened in your experience, but then to read it and to get the the real context of the depth of your relationship with your grandpa, which then when you read about what happens, you're like, you know, that that like it gets it gets you, right? Like it, it gets me. I wasn't close with my granddad at all. Mm-hmm. Um I never I barely met my dad's dad and I was never really that close to my mom's dad. And so I didn't, I don't have, I can't even say I know how you feel because I don't even have that context, but I felt close to your relationship with your granddad because of how you describe him. And then, I mean, there's, there's no words to describe it for it to happen just in the most tragic way that you could lose someone you love and the way you find out the way you rush over there. Like, yeah, that, that whole moment when I'm reading it, it was like, I can't imagine how tough it is to relive that for you as you're writing it out. And why was it so important to share that piece? And why did it mean so much to you to share that piece? Yeah, I think it was important for me to share it. Just um, selfishly, it was for me too, you know, to, to talk about it and also to show why I am sort of the way I am and why I'm wired the way I am. And I don't know, keep learning little things. Like throughout the book, throughout the process of writing the book, I was having to call and ask like my mom some questions, right? Like that's how I found out my granddad's name was uh, Chili. <laughs> like I, we called him Papa Chili, but called my mom. Luckily, my granddad still has a few siblings that's still alive, and that's why it's so important to ask our grandparents and things like that questions, so we know our history and. I don't know. I think it was just great for me. Um, obviously, I want a lot of people to read it, but sometimes I was almost in the book just talking to my family <laughs> because even being away from home, right? I haven't lived in Winston-Salem in 18 years, and that's where all my family is. Like you were saying, your wife, like London or what? I grew up around all my family. So in some parts of this memoir is me talking to my family back home that I've been away from from a long time and just letting them know how much I appreciate them, how much I miss them. Um, Through a lot of these experiences too, it's taught me, I really treasure the relationship that my kids have with my parents and my wife's parents, Mm. right? Because my dad, my mom and dad, they are not the same people that raised me, (laughs) right? (laughs) They are not. The way they be so nice to my kids and... You know, my son in the backyard shooting basketball when he was younger and he bricking left and right and my mama just yelling, good job, baby. Good. No, that is that is not what you're supposed to be doing. But there are times when my kids will do something and I get on them and I see my dad, them, like, be easy on them. And i like, you wasn't easy on me. But because of my grandfather and that relationship, I get it. Like, I get it. When my parents would get mad at me or I get my butt whooped, the first person I called was my granddad. So I'm I'm grateful for that because those relationships are 
really important. And I want to make sure that my kids uh, have that bond that I had too with my granddad. Yeah. On Purpose with Jay Shetty is brought to you by Booking.com, Booking.Yeah. Many of you know that one of the most important aspects of my life is my connection with others. Travel has become one of the best ways for me to connect with people, whether that be my community, my family, friends, or loved ones, or all of you. Most of my family lives outside of the US, so traveling around the holidays, birthdays, or other special occasions is something that we're accustomed to. As we grow older, oftentimes our families or loved ones end up living in different areas as us, making it challenging to get together due to various schedules and commitments. With Booking.com, I'm able to efficiently book travel and accommodations for everyone in my family so that we can spend quality time together. They also make it easy to book travel for the various types of travelers in my family so that each person in my family can authentically be the traveler they want to be, no matter the destination. Once a year, my family takes a trip together to a US destination where none of us live or are visited. We find this helpful in making sure that everyone is truly present and able to unplug from their normal routines, resulting in more meaningful conversations and connections. Experiencing new places with those close to you allows you to bond over a shared experience. Booking.com's breadth and variety of accommodations in the US has made the destination selection and booking process not only easy, but fun. Travel can also foster new connections. Visiting different cities has allowed me to build connections with all of you, my community, most of whom I've never met in person and otherwise would have not crossed paths with. The in-person relationships that are built and strengthened through travel is something that each of us can benefit from. Book whoever you want to be on booking.com, booking.yeah. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com forward slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Yeah, for sure. And and that's I'm so happy to hear that. I'm so happy to hear you feel that your kids have that yes. with your parents and Jada's parents. Because yes, because when they wake up, when my parents are in town and my kids wake up in the morning, they run in there first. Yeah. They run in there first. And I see the way that my parents light up. And it's seriously, like I literally look at my parents and I think back to my granddad and how he must have felt. Yeah. And it's it's so crazy. What's this? 2023. My dad is 62 now. And so when my grand I mean, when my dad turned 61 last year, it was like crazy emotional mm. for me. Cause I was like, man, this is how old. My granddad was when I lost him, and it's crazy to see like my dad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for them to to have him in health and yep. and greatness, it's uh. I think the part that really blew my mind is you saying how you found a way to have uh, empathy and a, you know, some sort of like forgiveness for the four individuals that assaulted your grandfather, and I think. 
having to relive it again when the case gets opened up again, you know, you know, to deal with it up until 2021, I think it was like, you know, it's like that having to go through it is the worst thing anyway. And then to have to leave, relive it again and for it to be opened up and for innocence to, to be the topic of conversation and for then again, for it to close, like, but for you to be in a place where you said it's taken you a long time, but you feel like there's a certain level of empathy. I'm like, that is, I mean, walk us through the journey, not the end, because the end is the hard part, but. Yeah, the journey is tough because in the immediate reaction, oh yeah, like I said in the book, I had some family members who was going to handle it themselves. But it was, um, I don't know, it took a while, but then you start to realize no matter what happens, he's not coming back. Right. I couldn't get him back. And I don't know if it was just getting older or the way that I like watch shows. You start learning about the prison system and all this different type of stuff. And you just start realizing that people make mistakes, sometimes bigger than others. But being incarcerated for that long of a time, you know what I mean? If you can show that you're remorseful and everything, that everything has happened, that's when I definitely think you need a second chance at this thing. Did you ever receive any remorse or apology or any sort of thing from them or that never happened? No, no, never. And what's crazy is, like I said, when that case got reopened, that was one of the first times, it was the first time that I actually started finding out details about the case. Yeah. Because you think about, like I said, I was in college and my parents wouldn't let me go. They wouldn't let me go to any of the court hearings or anything like that. And uh, over the years, I tell you, my Aunt Rhonda, she the one that be on top of everything. And it was a few times that I used to ask her, I used to be like, Auntie, show me, show me what the boys look like. You know, and she would like pull up a picture or whatnot. And that was like hard to even look at because you start questioning, asking why, like, hell, why would you do this? But as time goes on, you just you just try to heal. That's that's huge, man. To to never hear the apology and remorse, and to almost to accept an apology you never received, in order to rise above. I mean that that's like, I mean that's. I mean, I was going to ask you, what do you think is the toughest thing you've ever done? I'm like, <laughs> uh, that sounds like the toughest thing anyone's ever had to do. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely one of them. Like I said, I think it was the unexpected situation as far as my granddad. And in the book, like I really like detail. Mm -hmm. You know, when traumatic things happen, you sort of tend to remember everything down to, I remember scuffing my Jordans. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, Right there by by the gym. And it was crazy. It was just a whirlwind how everything happened. That went from the best day on the 14th, seriously, like a movie. The 14th signing my letter of intent to the 15th that happening you start to realize that, I don't know, like I, I'm, I'm right here thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, like, yeah, I love that. When, when, people, when people call you sometimes now or whatnot, like you always hope for the best, but expect the worst. You know, when somebody says, yo, did this happen? You know what I mean? Even though that one situation happened, it sort of almost gets you on edge when it, whenever something happens. Yeah. Well, well, I think that the book is genuinely like, it's a beautiful dedication to your grandpa. Like, it is like, I can't imagine anyone in the world who wouldn't be super proud to be 
honored in that way. Like it's such a beautiful honoring of a person that you loved. And I've ne- I don't think I've ever read a memoir that felt like an honoring of someone else. Man, I appreciate yeah. it. Uh, I really mean that. It's like I, I was reading. I was like, you, you know, obviously you shared. You do share so much about yourself, but so much about yourself is in him, for sure, and from him. And so, you know, to to read something where someone honors, like almost offering your life as an honoring to him, is to do that in a memoir. It's very, very special. It's like very special. How many books have you written? Written at two. Two. I'm on my third. Yeah. Oh yeah, this is one, <laughs> yeah. and that was that took a while because, yeah. like you said. I wanted you to be able to feel like what I was experiencing and what I was going through. And it's cool. It's really cool. It's really cool to hear that you you read it all. That sort of made me nervous when you said that too. Because <laughs> it's probably not always going to be um, the best or whatnot. But if somebody can draw any experience from it, right? Any experience from it. And uh, I think then that was a win. Yeah. And I, I didn't mean to scare you. I just wanted you to know. You know, I just... I feel like when I when I started to dive into you and it, I was just like, I just needed to feel like I had a real grasp of what you'd gone through to 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 honor you in this way as well. No, like for sure. when I sit down with someone, I feel like I'm trying to, to some degree, appreciate and honor their life because it's my ability to also capture your you as a as a human, and. Even even the name, like, I remember when the book first came on my desk and I was trying to figure out, like, I didn't get the physical version, but the, the digital version. When it first came to me, I was like, oh, 61, interesting. And I started diving into everything around it. And what it what did it feel like when in that game you, you know, when you talk about all the feelings that rushed through your head of like, oh, that's the record of Jordan at 67. And, you know, I feel like when you're, in that place, so many things are flashing in between your eyes. Like, walk, just walk us through that. It was crazy because, like I said, the high school that we played against was my mom's old high school, Parkland. And the most I scored in a game up to then might have been like 34 or 36. And I know that when death happens or things happen for me, a lot of times I get quiet, right? And a lot of times that's because I'm just trying to collect my thoughts or trying to breathe or I don't necessarily know what I'm always thinking, but I knew that I wanted to try to honor my granddad somehow, some way. And I didn't want everybody to know. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm one of those people that just like try to get it done, right? Get it done. And when it happened and I had 59 and I drove and I, I scored the 61st point, I think about it, that was 20 years ago. Right, twenty years ago, so I had I couldn't foresee that I would be in the NBA, all this different type of stuff. But um, that was the highlight, mm. right? And I just never forget being so tired and exhausted because emotionally I'd been drained, right? Had literally been drained, and seeing my dad over there on the bench and my brother or whatnot just made it that much more emotional. And I knew, like right then, that all my family was in town. Or whatnot, and that's something that would always connect us for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I think I think for so many people who went through something like that twenty years ago, it's easy to for all of us on the outside to look back now and see how incredible it is. But to, for so many people, that would have been a very valid reason to give up on their dream or for it to not happen because it you know it it derails you and it can derail your life, and that would be completely valid. But to actually look back at it now and go 
this career is dedicated to this person through your lens, it's it's remarkable to think that you can find the courage to step up again and go from that. Yeah. So, I think what's even crazier for me probably at this point in my life is that I've actually been without my grandfather longer than I was with him, mm. right? And I never think about that. You sort of just live or whatnot, but there's literally almost nothing that I can do on a daily basis that I don't think about him, you know? And what's crazy is in the book, um, I think I said something about uh, one of his favorite scriptures being Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that video I just found, when he's standing up thanking everybody for coming to um, his birthday thing, he says that. Wow. And it gave me goosebumps. He says that wow. in the video. So one thing about it, I'm going to tell my daddy to keep keep finding videos because <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's really nice to have. Yeah. And that's not the watch, though. That's a different watch. No, 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 this, no, yeah. this isn't the watch, yeah. but uh, Vacheron, right? This is a 222. Yeah. I literally got this watch because... It looks, it looks like the one, yeah. The way you described it, I was like, yeah. Yes, did, yeah. this watch looks like it. And I mean, I think I talk about how strict my parents were growing up. There was no earrings, no nothing like this or whatnot, no <laughs> tattoos or whatnot. But last summer, I got this this tattoo right here, which is Chevron logos, mm. right? Yeah. For, uh, for my granddad. Yeah. I love getting to do this because I... Even even just sitting with you right now, I'm, I'm like I'm thinking in my head. I'm so grateful that I came out today to sit with you to to have this opportunity because, you know, it takes a lot of courage to sit with someone and it, it, for them to open up in this way. And obviously, you have a book to do it. And I was really fortunate to have the same experience to sit down with Kobe in 2019. 2019. 2019. Yeah, 2019. It would have been. It was. It was literally like two months before Jeez. his tragic accident. So I got to interview him and we didn't we didn't know each other in the same way we don't know each other, but I felt like there was hmm. a real connection. It was such a such a gravitas and such a presence when he spoke and just his demeanor with the team and just everything. And and even today, like, you know, I think when when you talk about not being able to play with someone but knowing what could have been, but you again, even today you were like you look up and, you know, yeah. honor him in that way. Like how how do you navigate what ifs in your career? I feel like that again as an athlete is such a skill because there's so many what ifs. Like, what if I did that? Played it that way? Played with this? Like, you know, and so talk us through that because I think even in life, like that's what your whole book about. Just for everyone who's listening, Chris's whole book is about what his granddad taught him off the court, which applies on the court and then on the court lessons that apply off the court. Right. And there's this beautiful synergy. But I think there are so many people listening and watching right now who live their life in what ifs. Yep. And you've had a lot of what ifs. That's the big one you call out in the book. How do you how do you breathe and live through that? You know what? It's 24 chapters in my book, you know what I mean, as a tribute to Kobe. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I was actually on the phone with Adam Silver yesterday and I brought up a, a Kobe quote talking to him. And I actually talked to Vanessa every now and then too. Um, that's probably one of the coolest if not the best award that I've gotten since I've been in the NBA was um, a year before last. They started a Kobe and Gigi award, and I was able to get the uh, the first one that they did. And so Kobe was just different, right, in the way he approached things, but the way we competed against each other. And I think in the book, what I keep talking about when you say um, the what ifs, right, 
I always say if there was one thing that I could change in my entire career, it wouldn't be wins and losses. It would be how I rehabbed after my very first surgery, right? So I had surgery on my meniscus back in 2009, right? And I was so young, 2009, 2010, and I was so young at the time that it was like, all right, they did the surgery. Okay, I'm going to be fine. Right, didn't really take rehab that serious because I was just so young. It was like, okay, they fixed it. I'm gonna be fine. Um, but because of that, I've had so many different things over my career, different hamstring things or whatnot. And me and my agent was talking about it the other day. But sort of the story of my career has been the different situations that have happened over my career, how I've learned from them. Mm. Right. So an injury that I had. Right. It taught me something, and I was like, okay, I'm going to figure out how, to, how, how this is going to make me better, right? I get traded or whatnot. Okay, they feel like I ain't performing well enough or I'm not playing enough games. How is this going to make me better? So every time something has happened, right, you know, like I talk about in the book, the craziest thing, probably one of the craziest things in my career was that injury in Houston mm-hmm. when I got hurt and we were a game away from going to the NBA Finals. And so had that not happened, had I not hurt my hamstring that year and then hurt it again the next year, I don't think I still would be playing in the league right now Mm. because all of that stuff was a wake-up call to me. It was like, I got to change something. Mm. I got to change something. I got to figure this out. And once all that stuff happens, right? So if 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 you sit around, and I'll tell you this, if you sit around and dwell on that what if too long, somebody gonna pass you by. Mm. You know, so if you're sitting over there trying to figure out what if somebody else over here is going to take your job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And th- and that's, and I, and I love that idea. If this happened, what can I do better? This happened, what can I do better? That, that mentality of like continuous improvement and rededication as opposed to. Exactly. Instead of what if, it might be what's next. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because. Yeah, you can sit back and chill and me and Kobe every now and then be like, man, we play together, we play together. Yeah, what not? but everybody can't do it, but I can compartmentalize that. I can yeah. talk about this what if, but I'm still, you know, I still got my eye on what's, what, what the goal is. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think a lot of us live in what if, but we all have to learn to live in what is. Yeah. And then what's next, as you yep. said, because that, that's all we have. Yep. And and I love hearing that. It's great, but what I appreciate is it's a nuance. It's really subtle what you just said there, and I want people to appreciate it because what you're saying is I can feel this way, I can compartmentalize it, and I can move on. And I think that's super healthy because I think a lot of us pretend like we don't have what ifs. Right. Like it's easy to walk, and I love what you just talked about with your injury. It's a lot. It's very easy to walk around and be like, oh, I've got no regrets. I have no what ifs in my life. But the truth is we all have them. Yeah. And if you don't address percent. them, they're going to come up somewhere. Exactly. But but you're saying, no, you have it, compartmentalize it, and then focus on what next. Right. Like, that really otherwise resonates. you're going to be sitting around telling them high school stories or whatnot <laughs> that don't nobody care about no more. <laughs> Yeah, and that and that happens to all of us. We can all live in nostalgia and right. walk down memory lane. Uh, Chris, this has been such a such an honor to sit with you. Is there something that I haven't asked you, or something that's in your heart and mind right now? Before I have a couple more questions, but is there anything that I haven't asked you, or something that's on your heart and mind right now that you really want to share that, um, that you feel I haven't touched on? No, nah, just the the appreciation for this and being able to talk and tell my story through 
the book. And I hope people can really feel that it was it was really about that. It was about letting people understand and know about me and make sure that people understand that, look, my family, like anybody else, has got their issues. Everybody isn't all like loving and all this stuff on each other at all times. I mean, extended family or whatnot, but at the end of the day, it's my family, you know, and as long as you, you know, try to work through different things with you and yours, I promise you, um, you know, you'll appreciate it in the end. Yeah, I love that. Well, Chris, we end every On Purpose episode with a final five, and these ones have to be answered in one word to one sentence maximum, but I always change the rules, so <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try. Uh, Chris, what's the best advice, and I'm guessing it's going to be from Grandpa, but what's the best advice you've ever heard or received? Uh, never delay gratitude. That mm. was actually from my college coach, Skip Prosser. Mm. Walk, walk us through that, actually. I want to hear more. Yeah, never delay gratitude. And that means, you know, if you're grateful or thankful for anything, be sure and tell people. Mm. You know, be sure and tell people, like, I don't care where I'm at, what's going on. Whenever I get off the phone with my parents, my wife, my kids, or whatnot, it's always, I love you. You know, those times when you say you're going to tell somebody something in the morning or something like that, like, you just never, you absolutely never know what's going to happen. So never delay gratitude. And and that was a coach who said that to you. How did how did that apply to sport? And why how did why did he introduce? Because that's yeah. so interesting to get from a like a, a basketball coach. Yeah, like, so I talk about Coach Prosser yeah. a lot in the yeah, book. Yeah, of course. Because yeah. he's he's one of the most, three most influential men in my life, and he just had all of these sayings. Right, never delay gratitude. If you can't be on time, be early. Uh, don't be a two to four guy. Be a four to two guy. And it was just all these different things. And the reason that never delay gratitude thing, how it related to sports was, it's hard to win a game, right? It's hard to win one game, let alone make it to the playoffs. Like I coached the other night when we clinched to make it to the playoffs in the locker room, he just told everybody, he said, listen, I'm grateful for you guys. We always talk about gratitude. It's a lot of teams that's going home and going on vacation, but you know, don't take it for granted that you get a chance to play in the playoffs. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I love that. And I think a lot of young athletes who are listening, or if you have kids who are young athletes, like that's great advice because often that kind of softer touch is is missed. Like you don't think it's there. Something. Yeah, but, but when I say never delay gratitude, yeah. I also mean for like kids to your parents. Like yeah. when I'm at my basketball camps, I always make all the kids stand up and turn around and tell their parents thanks. Because like I said in the book, my dad spent his entire 401k on me and my brother playing travel basketball. Mm. So that's where these kids... They get to go do all these camps and all this stuff. And don't delay gratitude. Tell your parents thank you because every kid is not getting that opportunity. Yeah. Actually, I want to I wanna take a side note on that because one of the things I was blown away by in your journey is just how much purpose and giving back and service is such a big part of how your your foundation, the way it's set up. Your when you walk through the, you know, the the murder of and the death of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and then how you're dealing with it in the bubble and of course with your role at the time and you talk about how like you changed the messaging three times. They went from peace yeah. to, to, I forgot what the other say one was. Say her name. Yeah, say. I think it was equality. Equality, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you shift through it and I was just thinking like there's just so much intention in your life with all the work that you've chosen to do, uh, what, what's been 
kind of like a meaningful fruit or result that you've seen that has really... It's a, it's a lot of different things. And I'm fortunate to have an amazing team that works with me or whatnot, because obviously I'm dealing with a lot of different things on a given given day and trying to be the best athlete that I can be. But they're constantly bringing different things, uh, saying, hey, would you like to support this? Or could you do this? And yeah. uh, I'm always trying to as much as I can. And I think the most valuable thing that I have is time. So even if it's before a game or after a game, giving a young kid an opportunity to watch me warm up or taking a picture with him and just giving him your undivided attention mm. for, for five minutes is one of the most valuable things that you can do with anybody. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, I'm, I want to read this out because it's so, it's so powerful. So last March, Chris was the only athlete appointed to President Biden's advisory board on historically black colleges and universities. And, and that's been, I mean, that, that's incredible that you've become a, a spokesperson and a champion for for that. Is there some of the work there that's resonated or some stories that you think? Oh, man. Um, it's probably so many. Yeah, I mean, well, we, we got a lot of different things. What we've done is uh, me and my brother a few years ago, and then Carmen actually did it too, we went to this business class at Harvard with uh, Anita Elbers, um, a BIMS class, business education management sports, I think. And after going to that class at Harvard, we were like, why isn't this curriculum or course offered at HBCUs? And we got to work and Anita helped with it. And now we have that course at a few different HBCUs. Wow. Right. So just always trying to figure out how we can make some type of impact. Equality again. Exactly. Equal access. Yeah. Uh, equal access yeah. to education. It's incredible. I'm glad. I'm glad we went there. Actually, uh, second question: What is the worst advice you've ever heard or received? Worst advice: <laughs> uh, That cheese tastes good. <laughs> cheese is disgusting. Like seriously, I've never had a cheeseburger, <laughs> macaroni and cheese, none of that. It's disgusting. <laughs> I thought you took my cheeses and money. And no, so the, no, the, no, the, no, definitely not. Literal, yeah, literally literal, yeah, yeah, literal. Okay, yeah. literal. So you don't like cheese at all. At all? No. no Not even have. on pizza? No, 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 no. I'm cool. No cheesy fries? No. Oh, no. Okay. Hey, right. no. Okay, this is good My to brother, know. when we used to get home from school, he used to go in the refrigerator and get the block of cheese. What is that? I don't even know. Oh, that, that string cheese kind of like, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I don't know. He used to have to take plastic off the side and yeah, eat yeah. it. <laughs> I'm doing nothing but putting mucus all in his body. Nasty. <laughs> also, uh, question number three. How would you define your current purpose? You know, basketball and athlete, that's that's what I do, not necessarily all of who I am, but just just trying to help make a difference in, in different aspects of life, uh, whether it be HBCUs, whether it be health and wellness. I think that's been a big thing that I've become passionate about the past four or five years is trying to figure out how to make some of these health things more accessible, mm -hmm. right, and make people more aware like, I'm always curious about this, um, that, whatever it may be. I'm so curious about water and the things that people are eating and all these different type things and trying to make sure that other people become aware like I am. And the other biggest purpose is whatever I have to do for my family, mm -hmm. right? Whatever I have to do, do for my family, especially my wife and kids, is just trying to figure out how I can continue to pour into them. Question number four, uh, what, what's your reaction to the title Point God? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, 
the the point guard thing has been it's crazy. I don't even know when it started. I don't even know when I when it started, but uh, it's a privilege, right? Like a, a honor, basically, that people see you playing the game the right way. Now it ain't some like worshiping thing or whatnot, but uh, I get really like kind of shy and bashful when people say that or whatnot. But uh, it's it's cool to be even in that consideration and playing for as long as I played. Still. Uh, fifth and final question. If you could create, we asked this to every guest who's ever been on the show. If you could create one law that everyone in the world had to follow, what would it be? Take your time. Ooh, we. One law yeah. that everybody in the world that everyone had in the world had to follow, what would it be? And take your time. There's no rush. Oh, that's, that's, everybody got to get them guns up, man. <laughs> everybody. Everybody come turn them in. Everybody come turn them in. Everybody. So if we got some beef or something like that, or somebody got to do something, you got to fight it out. You got to fight it out. <laughs> I don't know. That was the first thing that came yeah, to my head. Yeah, yeah, That's awesome. Thank you. Chris Paul, everyone. Chris, incredible memoir, 61. Make sure you go and grab it. We're going to put the link in the comments and the captions across the board. I want you to go read this book. If you're already a fan of Chris, you're going to love it. If you're learning about Chris through this, you're going to love it even more because it's it's truly a remarkable story of love, of sacrifice, of connection, of generations passing on beautiful lessons. Uh, you've got like four or five generations in the book being talked about. So I hope you go and grab a copy of 61. Chris Paul, it's been a pleasure and honor Jay, sitting I down with you. Honestly, you, you're, Thank you're, you. You're, you're, Thank you. you're a real one, man. This <laughs> is like, this has been one of my favorite interviews, honestly, because you're so present. When I was sitting with your book, it felt that way. And to sit with you and to watch you thinking and to watch you visualize it and to watch you telling it from memory and then for you to share that story about finding that tape or your father finding that tape. I mean, just really grateful, man. Thank you for this. Man, Thank I you appreciate so much. you, Jay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, man. If you love this episode, you'll love my interview with Kobe Bryant on how to be strategic and obsessive to find your purpose. Our children have become less imaginative about how to problem solve. And parents and coaches have become more directive in trying to tell them how to behave versus teaching them how to behave. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.